What's up, everybody? I hope we're having a fantastic day. My name is Keith Jacobs. This is Crazy Opinionated. Maybe not the opinion that you want to hear, but the opinion that you need to hear. Uh, we got a lot of NFL today. We got some MLB stuff to talk about. Pretty excited. Um, so first thing that I'm going to do is something that I never normally say, which is the NFL needs to drug test somebody. Yeah, I don't normally call for that stuff, but the NFL needs to drug test someone. And that person is Dak Prescott. (laughs) Dak Prescott needs to be drug tested by the NFL. He is clearly on some sort of drug, like crack or whatever. Oh, man. So according to multiple reports, um, most notably by Jen Slater, um, Dak Prescott turned down a $30 million contract extension with the Dallas Cowboys and now wants $40 million. 40! Listen, I don't care. The only person in the NFL that I think deserves $40 million is Patrick Mahomes. And even I would hesitate giving Patrick Mahomes $40 million. I'm certainly not giving Dak 40. Now, like I get it, a lot of it has to do with the market. And the way the quarterback market has developed. You see guys like Aaron Rodgers getting $35 million. Russell Wilson just got $35 million. Carson Wentz, even though he's been hurt twice, was just given the highest guaranteed contract in NFL history. So a lot of it has to do with that. I think the only thing that Dak really has in his favor is leverage. Because you see all of these guys that are getting this big money, particularly Carson Wentz. You know, lifetime against... Carson Wentz, Dak is 3-1. and one. Dak has a better career completion percentage than Carson Wentz. Dak has a better higher QBR, a total QBR than Carson Wentz. Better touchdown to interception ratio, better completion percentage. And has not been hurt, has been on the field, reliable. And Carson Wentz got more guaranteed money. And a lot of that has to do with Carson Wentz with the type of player that he is. He's a, he's a generational type of talent. Dak's not that type of talent, which is why I struggle giving him that money. The only, there are three things that qualify if I'm going to give you big money. Leverage, physical ability, and statistics. Two of those are not really in Dak's favor. The statistics, he doesn't really put up gaudy numbers. And yeah, you could look at the last eight games of last season and say, oh, well, you know, he went 7-1. and one. His numbers were so much better with Amari Cooper. And I totally understand that. I get that argument. But that is not enough for me to pay him $40 million a year. And again, look, his numbers were good. His numbers were good. Final nine games of the season after they traded for Amari Cooper, Dak was 7-2, and 71% completion percentage, 14 touchdowns, 4 picks, averaged 274.2 yards per game, and had a passer rating of 103. Those are really good numbers. But that has not been Dak's career. That has not been Dak's full-on trajectory the whole time he's been in the NFL. If it was, then maybe I would think about it a little bit more. But the only thing that he has is leverage because guys like Carson Wentz who are getting hurt are getting the highest guaranteed money. Guys who are older than him, like Aaron Rodgers, are getting $35 million. Russell Wilson getting $35 million. 
Now, the difference is, is that all three of the guys that I just mentioned are far more physically gifted than Dak. And over the course of their career, have put up better numbers. Carson Wentz was an MVP two years ago before he got hurt. Still think he should have won it, but that's my personal opinion. And then you look at Patrick Mahomes, who may be the only guy who deserves $40 million. Well, he just put up 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns in his rookie year. So that calls for that discussion. Dak has not put up the type of numbers that call for that discussion. He's put up really good numbers. He's been a winning quarterback. He's got the second highest winning percentage in the NFL since he entered the league, only behind Tom Brady. So he's a winner. He clearly has the ability to go out there and put up good numbers, but not numbers that warrant $40 million. And the second, the, the other thing that I want to add to this is that I'm a little bit upset that he doesn't have more awareness. This is the thing that I've talked about, you know, that I've, I've kind of had in my mind a couple of times. I really wanted him to have more awareness of the fact that he needs to have guys around him on that roster. You know, there are certain quarterbacks in the NFL, like in Aaron Rodgers, for example, who can carry weaker rosters. Tom Brady's had to do that multiple times over the course of his career. Carry weaker receiving cores. Maybe not a great core of running backs. Dak's not that guy. Dak needs Amari Cooper. Dak needs Ezekiel Elliott. Dak needs a really good offensive, uh, offensive line. Dak needs good defensive personnel. Which is why it blows my mind that he would want to tie up all of this money into himself. They're going to ha- they're gonna have to pay Amari Cooper. They're going to have to pay Byron Jones, their good young corner. In the next year or two, they're going to have to pay Jalen Smith. They want to pay Ezekiel Elliott. I wouldn't, but they want to. So how are they going to be able to do that if all of this money is tied up into Dak Prescott? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I thought that he would have more self-awareness than that. This is why guys like Tom Brady, like Drew Brees, can have good rosters around them. Because they take pay cuts and they allow that other money to go into weapons that they need around him. That extension with Michael Thomas down in, down in New Orleans wouldn't have been possible if Drew Brees was making $35 million a year. So it's just, it's the self-awareness. I thought Dak would have more self-awareness than that, but apparently I was wrong. And listen, I don't think that he is getting $40 million. And he's got to come out this year. What he just did now, he just put pressure on himself to come out this year and prove that he is worth that money. Even 30. Come out this year and prove to me that you are worth 30 million, let alone 40 million. He just put a ton of pressure on himself by doing this. And I can't wait to see how it turns out. I'm excited. I think that the Cowboys are going to be a good team. I think that the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs. Do I think they're going to make the Super Bowl? Probably not. But if you're worth $40 million, you go ahead and do that. And prove me wrong. Tell me that you are worth $40 million by the play that you use. I want to shift to something. I want to shift to Antonio Brown, who is just the world's biggest crybaby. Um, Have you ever had... You ever been in a relationship... And um, it was a really good relationship while you were in it. It was mutual. There was benefits to it. And um, you guys seemed like a good fit for each other at the time, even long term. Um, and then you break up with that person. And, and for the beginning portion, at the very least, it seems a little bit hard. You know, you're, you're kind of missing, quote unquote, your other half, I guess. 
And then that person goes out and does something just absolutely outrageous or wild. And you kind of think to yourself, man, that person is not someone I needed in my life. I'm better off without them. This is the Pittsburgh Steelers and Antonio Brown. So not only does Antonio Brown get frostbite from a cryothermic chamber, he also is now doing this whole thing about the helmet situation. You know, he doesn't like the way his he doesn't like the way his new helmet fits. He wants to use his old helmet. And if he cannot, he will retire. He filed a grievance against the NFL. He lost the grievance. He's going to return to training camp. It's a whole fiasco. And to a degree, I get it. To a certain degree. Because look, changing helmets is a much bigger deal than a lot of people think. It really is. It's all about comfortability. Changing helmets is, is all about comfortability. And it's a safety precaution by the NFL, which I totally understand. These, it's not that the helmets that Antonio Brown wants to wear won't protect him. It's the fact that the helmet that Antonio Brown wants to wear won't protect him as well as the new helmets that the NFL is bringing out. And if he wants to file a grievance, I'm sort of behind it. I just hate the antics. Oh, I'm going to retire. I don't need football. Bro, are you kidding me? You just complained and whined and cried your way out of Pittsburgh to get $30 million from the Oakland Raiders, and now all of a sudden you want to retire? Go ahead, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I'm concerned, you are just keeping a roster spot for guys who actually want to be there. And who actually need to be there. If you don't need to play NFL football, don't play NFL football. It's plain and simple, man. Very easy. And if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm looking at this and I am thanking every star in the sky that Antonio Brown is not in that building anymore. He is a nightmare. He's a nightmare. And it's already bad enough that the Raiders are dealing with, you know, hard knocks in their face and, and John Gruden is reportedly taping their video sessions. I don't, you know, like this whole thing is just a fiasco over there in Oakland. And sure, they'll have some, you know, they got Antonio Brown. They got a bunch of, you know, they, they got a bunch of new players, the, you know, new rookies. They bring in Vontez Perfect. They're going to be interesting, but they are going to be an absolute circus. And Antonio Brown is not helping. This does not help the culture of your locker room, especially your first year there. They just bring in a bunch of new rookies. You've got a quarterback who, in Derek Carr who could possibly be on his last licks and needs to be building a relationship with you and you're getting hypothermia and cryogenic chambers and you're off battling the NFL over a helmet issue, which by the way, according to Stephen A. Smith, the NFL has been pushing this helmet agenda for the last five years. There's been notices in the locker rooms. Hey, this is what we're doing. We're changing the helmets. Be prepared for this. It's like, dude, like, when are you going to grow up? Tom Brady was asked about the helmet situation the other day. You know what he said? It is what it is. You want to know why? Because he's mature. And he's not a 30-year-old baby making $30 million. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, man. I don't get it.
So we're going to move on. Um, every year, new quarterbacks face new pressures. Um, and this could be for a variety of reasons, whether it's a contract thing, whether it's a they-need-to-stay-healthy thing, whether it's a change-in-personnel thing. Quarterbacks face all different types of pressures all throughout the NFL season. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you my top 10 list of quarterbacks facing the most pressure this NFL season. And number 10, we're going to go down to Jacksonville for this. We're going to go to Nick Foles. Nick Foles just got a big contract from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he is a starting quarterback. The only problem is, is that outside of Philadelphia in his career, he's under 500 as a starter. In fact, you could argue that his starting career outside of Philadelphia has been miserable. And now there were people after his Super Bowl win that were saying that he's better than Carson Wentz. First of all, you're out of your mind if that is actually what you believe. Second of all, now... You know, he's not going to be a backup for a majority of the season. He's not going to be asked to be the, the Lord and Savior that comes in and, and picks the Eagles up when Carson Wentz gets hurt. He's going to have to lead a franchise now. And this is a team in Jacksonville that's playing in a really tough division. The Colts are really, really good. The Texans are really good. The Titans are no slouch. They don't have great weapons on the outside. Leonard Fournette is a really, really good running back, but he cannot stay healthy. And I don't know how this is going to go. I think Nick Foles is a good quarterback. I think he's the best backup in the NFL. But I have yet to really see him flourish outside of Philadelphia as a starter. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Number nine is Big Ben. We're going to go to Pittsburgh for this. We're going to go to Big Ben. And the reason why Big Ben's on this list is because now it's, it's almost kind of like a new era for Big Ben. You get Antonio Brown out of the building. You get Le'Veon Bell out of the building. There's no more drama. I think this is going to make Big Ben perform really well. The lack of drama in the building. Juju is still a really good receiver. James Conner, a really good running back. They still have a great offensive line. Now, I'm interested to see who they get to play a number two alongside Juju. It's looking like it could be James Washington, but we'll see. But Big Ben's got pressure. Because now he has to go out there without A.B., without Le'Veon, and prove that he could still put up really good numbers, which I think he can. Number eight on this list, we're going to go to San Francisco. We're going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. This is all about staying healthy. Jimmy G got paid a lot of money after starting very few games for the San Francisco 49ers. And they have a lot of good weapons. They're going to get Jarek McKinnon back this year, who's a really good pass-catching running back. They bring in Tevin Coleman from the Atlanta Falcons, which I love. They draft Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, two really good upside receivers. They have George Kittle, who's one of the best young tight ends in football. They've improved their offensive line. And you've got a really, really good offensive head coach in Kyle Shanahan. So this is about money and staying healthy. I think Jimmy G is going to be a really good quarterback, but he's got to stay healthy. And it always worries me when guys get hurt off non-contact injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo's ACL tear last year was a non-contact tear. It's the same thing that happened to Teddy Bridgewater a few years back. Not exactly the same thing, but it was a non-contact ACL tear. And I worry about that for some guys. Are you fragile? Can you hold up over a 16-game season? 
But he's a talented quarterback, and Kyle Shanahan is a really smart guy. So if he stays healthy, this can work, but he has to stay healthy. Number eight, we're going to go down to Carolina. We're going to talk about Cam Newton. Cam Newton's coming off another, so another shoulder surgery. And all throughout his career, there's been a ton of excuses for Cam. When the simple fact is, is that he's had good weapons over the course of his career. He's had good defenses. Still has a really good defense. He's got Christian McCaffrey, who I think in year three is going to absolutely just pop. He's going to pop off the wall. If Greg Olson can stay healthy, he's a really good tight end. They're a little thin at wide receiver. I think they're going to have to trust DJ Moore a little bit more this year. No pun intended. they got a good offensive coordinator in Norv Turner. But Cam has never had back-to-back -back winning seasons in his NFL career. And the Saints are going to be really good. I think the Falcons are going to bounce back. While I don't think the Bucs are going to be great, I think they're going to be better. Especially with Bruce Arians as head coach. So Cam, number one, has to stay healthy. And number two, Cam has to show me some improvement. Cam is an incredible physical talent, but is just an emotional roller coaster. And it's perfect that I talked about the Bucs because that's where we're going next. Number six on my list is Jameis Winston. I have not given up on Jameis Winston. I think a lot of people have. My dude just cannot figure it out off the field. And on the field, he's been incredibly inconsistent. There's been a lot of turnovers. He'll throw for a high amount of passing yards, but he has been turnover prone. And now he gets Bruce Arians, who is a no-nonsense guy. And Bruce Arians has worked with guys like Big Ben, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, helped revitalize Carson Palmer's career in, uh, in Arizona for the back end of it for a couple of years. This is a dude who knows what he's doing with quarterbacks. And I think Jameis Winston could be better but Jameis Winston has to understand, this is his last chance. You're a former number one pick. Put the blinders on, lock in on football, and show me what you can do. Because physical ability, arm strength-wise, he has the ability to be a good quarterback in this league. And he has Mike Evans. He has O.J. Howard. But he's got he's to put the blinders on and focus on football. Number five, we're going to go up to Cleveland. This is the top five here. These are the guys with the most pressure. We're going to go up to Cleveland. My main man, Baker Mayfield. You could argue Baker Mayfield has one of the top five offensive arsenals in the league. Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, David Njoku is a really good young tight end. Nick Chubb. Oh, and by the way, eight games into the season, you get Kareem Hunt back, who was the leading rusher two years ago in the NFL. Freddie Kitchen seemed to make you better offensively last year in the last couple of games that you played with him. But now this is, this is not regular Cleveland stuff, bro. We're not just expecting you to win maybe two to three games and that'll be enough. You need to make the playoffs. And in that division with Pittsburgh, Baltimore's still going to be a really good team. At the very minimum, you better make a wild card this year with those weapons. I'm sorry. You got expectations now. And you need to live up to those expectations. You're a former number one pick. You're looking like the quarterback of the future for the Cleveland Browns. And now the Browns have really good players. You cannot win six or seven games this year and expect everybody to be okay with it. You have to win at least nine and make it to the playoffs somehow. I don't even care if you make it as a wild card team. That's a good start. 
That's better than not making the playoffs. But you have to make the playoffs. Number four, and this is because of what he's doing now with all this contract talk, is Dak Prescott. If you're going to sit here and tell me that you think that you're worth $40 million, go out there and prove it to me. This is pressure now. And it's possible that you may have to go do this without Ezekiel Elliott. You may have to go prove that you're worth $40 million. I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. Without Ezekiel Elliott. As far as I'm concerned, and this is mostly because of Jason Garrett's job status, it is Super Bowl or bust for Dallas. I think they have the potential to do it. They got a really good young defense. They're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL this year, especially when Travis Frederick comes back. Amari Cooper clearly made Dak Prescott better. Jason Witten is coming back, so now you're going to have that third down security blanket. But listen, dude, if you think that you're worth $40 million, go out there and prove to me that you're worth $40 million. This is the year that you do it. Because if you can't do it, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I don't pay you anything more than 27 Number three on this list is Kirk Cousins. We're going to go up to Minnesota for this one. Now, you can look at Kirk Cousins' numbers last year and say, wow, he had a really good year. He completed around 70% of his passes, threw for over 4,000 yards. But numbers are deceiving. I said this same thing with Eli Manning. If you take a look at what Eli Manning was doing last year, he actually put up some of the best numbers of his career. Highest career completion percentage. He threw for over 4,000 yards. But numbers lie sometimes. And the reason why numbers lie sometimes is because you have to actually use the eye test. Take a look at what they're doing in games. Eli Manning wasn't throwing the ball down the field effectively. It was a lot of dumping off. A lot of inaccurate throws. Kirk Cousins, yeah, maybe he put up some good numbers. But he was terrible in big games. Most notably, the biggest game of the season when they went to Chicago... And for three and a half quarters, got manhandled by the Bears. He only got some yards and a touchdown in that game because they were in garbage time. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He's a C-plus, B-minus quarterback. But for whatever reason, and this has been the case whether he's been in Washington or his first year in Minnesota, he cannot perform in primetime games. And he is being paid a lot of money. He's still got $66 million left on that contract. So he needs to prove to me that he's got the ability to perform in big-time games because this is a really tough division. He's going to be going up against a revitalized Aaron Rodgers who's finally got a really good defense and a new head coach. The Bears are still going to be really good. they still got that great defense. He has to win big games. And he's got no excuses because he's got a, one of the best wide receiving cores in the league. He's got a good young running back in Dalvin Cook. They don't have a great offensive line, but it's improving. And they still have a really good defense. He needs to win. He needs to win big games. Or that contract is not even close to being worth it. Number two is in the same division. It's in Green Bay and it's in Aaron Rodgers. Okay. You told me Mike McCarthy was the problem. Now Mike McCarthy's out of the building. Matt LaFleur's in there. A young offensive mind. You've finally got a good defense. It's a young defense, but they got some players that I really like. 
You bring in Adrian Amos from the Bears. You bring in Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. You draft Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage. They got a really good young corner in Jair Alexander that I really like. And your offensive line is good. You're going to have probably a running game this year with Aaron Jones. Devontae Adams is a top 10 receiver in the league. There's no more excuses for Aaron Rodgers. I expect Aaron Rodgers to go out there and put up an MVP type season. There's no more excuses. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know what his relationship is like with Matt LaFleur right now. I'm assuming because I haven't heard anything about you know, any controversy for the most part, that it's going decently well, but he's got no more excuses. He has absolutely no more excuses. He has to put up an MVP season. They have to win the division this year, and I think they will. And number one on this list is in Philadelphia, man. Carson Wentz. And I'm going to call it right now. I think Carson Wentz is going to be the MVP of the NFL. I think he is, if he can stay healthy. But there's a lot of factors here. Number one, he's got to stay healthy. That's huge. He's been, you know, he had the torn ACL, the fractured back. He's got to do it. And he doesn't have Nick Foles behind him to bail him out if he cannot put up those numbers or if he cannot stay healthy. No disrespect to whoever the backup quarterback is for the Eagles. I don't even know. I don't even think it's Nate Sudfeld. I'm pretty sure he got hurt the other night. But Carson's got a really good team behind him. It's arguably the best roster in the NFL. Pro Football Focus called that receiving core the best in the league. Pro Football Focus called that offensive line one of the best in the league. So he's got to go out there and put up numbers. And I think he can do it. He's got the best roster in the league. But he has to stay healthy. And on top of that now, he has to live up to a contract. He just got the most guaranteed money in NFL history. He's got to live up to a contract. I think this is a huge year for Carson Wentz. And I think this is a year that he can really open up some eyes and show everybody that that MVP season that he put up two years ago is real and he can do it. And I know he can do it. All right, so we're going to move on to some baseball. There's something phenomenal happening in the National League. Specifically in the National League East, I'm talking about the New York Mets. I'm a Mets fan, and this is extremely exciting for me. Um, so it's really amazing. The Mets are doing something that a lot of people did not see coming. The Mets are doing something that is, for the most part, unprecedented. Going into the All-Star break, the Mets were 11 and a half games back in their division. They were fourth place, and they were six games back in the wild card. And then they went out in the trade deadline and they got Marcus Stroman from the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. And so many people were befuddled by this move. The New York Mets were not technically in contention at the moment. So why go out and buy? Especially when there were talks that they were going to try to trade Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler. And they were shopping Edwin Diaz around a little bit. They traded Jason Vargas. Why did they go out and make this move? This is why. They went out and make this, made this move. 
And look, I know Strowman has not been great in his first two starts. But the reason why you go out and make this move more than anything is because it's a jolt to the clubhouse. When guys get player when guys get a message from their front office that says, "Hey, we believe in you. Go out and get it." By making a move by like getting Marcus Stroman, who is a dude that was sought after by contenders like the Yankees. It gives a jolt to the clubhouse. It's like, "Hey man, they believe in us. Let's believe in us and go out there and get it." And the Mets have been the Mets have been killing it. They just took two out of three from the Washington Nationals recently. They've won 17 of their last 19 games. They have the best record in the major league since the All-Star break. They have one of the best ERAs in baseball since the All-Star break. And it's really awesome. And Noah Syndergaard in his last four or five starts has been dealing. Zach Wheeler had a really, really good start his last time out. I'm waiting for Stroman to kind of hit his stride. DeGrom had a little bit of a rough one his last time. Only made it five innings. Had a really, really high pitch count. But this team is in it. And this team is going for it right now. And it's really awesome. Because it's a fun team. It's a fun young team, man. Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto. It's so cool. So they were 11 and a half games out of the division... Now they're eight games out of the division. That's still really far away. I'm not saying that they're going to win the division, but they're eight and two in their last 10. They're over 500. They're only two games back of the Nationals. They had an off day yesterday. The Nationals won. And it's, it's so cool. It's just so cool to see what's happening. I got to tell you something. The energy in that ballpark is unbelievable. It's packed now. More packed than I've seen it in a while. So as of today, we take a look at the National League wild card. Washington is ahead by a game. They're in the first wild card spot. St. Louis is in the second wild card spot. Milwaukee's a half game back. And the Mets are a game back at the second wild card spot. And the best part is, is that all of the teams that are around them right now, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, are all playing bad baseball. St. Louis is 4-6 and six in their last 10, even though they've won three in a row. Milwaukee's 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Philadelphia has hit a landslide. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. And the, moves in the, and the moves that these teams did not make are what is going to hurt them. The Philadelphia Phillies needed to go out and get bullpen help, and they needed to get another significant starter. I said from the beginning, go out and get Mike Miner. Go get Will Smith from the Giants. They did neither of those things. They got Jason Vargas. Fly ball pitcher in a hitter's park. That's, that's going to work. The Milwaukee Brewers every year, it seems, need starting pitching and just don't go out and get it. I'm sorry. No disrespect to Drew Pomerantz and Ray Black, but that's not going to put you over the top. And St. Louis didn't do a damn thing. Now, Washington went out and they got a bunch of relievers, but even with that, they still have the worst bullpen in baseball. So there is a very real possibility that the Mets could be in first place in the wild card. Now, the only problem is, is that the Mets have a really tough schedule coming up. 
outside of Kansas City, they play a they they play a nice little three game set starting August sixteenth against Kansas City. Outside of that, they have a three game series with the Braves now coming up starting today. They got a three game set with Cleveland starting the twentieth. They play the Braves again, then the Cubs. And then after a couple of and then they play a couple sets with the Phillies and then they play the Nationals again. And then they got the Dodgers eventually. So they got a lot of really tough games coming up. And I know what a lot of people are saying. They've played a lot of crap teams. They've played the Pirates, they played the White Sox, they played the Marlins. But this stretch coming up is what's really going to tell you if this run that the New York Mets just went on is real. Or if this run that the New York Mets just went on is a fluke. And I'm excited. So tonight they play the Braves at 720. They got Zach Wheeler on the mound going for them. And what's crazy is that now they're going in they're going for the Braves. And since the All-Star break, Atlanta has the second worst bullpen ERA in baseball. And they just came off of a team with the worst bullpen hell, right? The Braves added three relievers, Chris Martin, Shane Green, and Mark Melanson over the trade deadline. And I thought that was really good. But since the deadline, the Braves relievers have a collective 6.55 ERA. That's the fifth worst mark in baseball since the deadline. And so far, the, the ERAs, Melanson, 9.82 since he was acquired. Chris Martin, 10.38 since he was acquired. Shane Green, who was putting up an unbelievable year, has an 11.25 ERA since being acquired. It's real. I think it's real. So it's tonight. Zach Wheeler versus Max Freed. It's at 7.20. Then on Wednesday, Steven Matz versus Dallas Keuchel. And on Thursday, Marcus Stroman gets back out there versus Julio Tehran. I think there's a real possibility that the Mets win this series. I really think there is. Um, so now what I'm going to do is I want to talk. I want to talk some NBA because the NBA schedules came out for next season, and and some of these games, I got to tell you, man, some of these games are awesome. First of all, the Lakers got. Just a boatload of TV games. They have like over 30 national TV games. But what's so cool is is some of the homecoming games on this list. So let's talk about a couple of the homecoming games. November 27th, Kyrie Irving returns to Boston for the first time. Boston went out and, and let Kyrie walk. They brought in Kemba Walker to take his place, which I think is a better fit. Kemba's a much more giving player on the basketball court. He's also less emotional than Kyrie. I think Kyrie's going to get booed. That's just my personal opinion. Um, another game that I'm really excited about, Kawhi returns to Toronto. I don't think there will be a louder standing ovation in the NBA. Maybe besides Russell Westbrook going back to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't think there will be a bigger standing ovation in the NBA. It's amazing. Kawhi Leonard turned himself into the greatest Toronto Raptor 
in the history of their franchise in one season by winning a championship up there. And if I'm Toronto, I'm forever grateful because let's be 100% honest with ourselves. There's a good chance that the Raptors may not make the finals like for a long time. And Kawhi was able to do that for them. Anthony Davis returns to New Orleans. I think that's going to be a kind of a mixed review in my opinion. I don't know how that's going to go. I would think that because of the way that he played for that franchise, that they would not boo him. But again, it's possible that they boo him. But I don't think they should. But I'm really excited for the for the NBA schedule. I'm so happy that it came out. I love to kind of see that stuff. Normally, I don't care about schedules all that much. But this year, I mean, some of these games are just so cool. And it's all because of free agency. You know, for example, Clippers play the Lakers on October 22nd on national TV. That's so cool. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George versus LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's the new teams. It's so awesome. I think that's going to be a great game to watch. Like, seriously. And that's going to be so cool. One of the more underrated games, November 14th, the Dallas Mavericks play the New York Knicks. And you know why that's important? Because Kristaps Porzingis makes his return to the Garden. This is awesome. This is really, really awesome stuff. One game that I'm very excited about. I'm very, very excited to watch this game in particular. And that game, more than anything, is when Russell Westbrook returns to Oklahoma City. I think that is going to be one of the biggest standing ovations in the history of basketball. He was the beloved godson of Oklahoma City. They let James Harden walk. They let Kevin Durant and they let James Harden walk. They lost out on Kevin Durant. And this was the guy for the last 10 years for this franchise. And it's going to be crazy. And it's also crazy because Chris Paul is going to face off against the Houston Rockets for the first time. All this stuff is just incredible. It's really, really cool. Uh, my final thing, I want to move back to I want to move back to the NFL. Um, and the reason why I want to move back to the NFL is because there were some rookie quarterbacks that made their pro debuts. Kyler Murray made his pro debut, um, and he looked really, really good. Kyler Murray looked really good, and it was really quick. That offense was very, very quick. Three-step drops, sling, get the ball out. And the great thing about it is that Kyler, you could tell from the moment he stepped on the field, looked comfortable as a pocket passer. And that's really what I wanted to see. I knew Kyler could run. I knew he had a good arm. But I didn't want him to be a run-first quarterback because Kyler Murray, with that size, cannot afford to be a run-first quarterback. I know it says he's 5'10", but he's smaller. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. He's smaller. And he has the mobility to be able to run around. We know this. But his pocket ability, he looks so comfortable. 
He looks so comfortable in the pocket, and he can sling it. He can really, really sling it in the pocket. And I was really blown away. Now, look, I don't know how this is going to go. Because they don't really have a great offensive line. All of their receivers are very, very young. And I think a lot of what they do is going to be screen passes to David Johnson, which is why I think David Johnson is going to be is going to have a nice year this year. He was six for seven. It was an assortment of quick rhythm throws, screen passes. They ran an RPO or two. He looked overall. He just looked comfortable. And if this is, and I know this is. Mostly backup defenders. I know this is all the defensive concepts are really vanilla for the most part, but if this is any indication of how this offense is going to look, I think Kyler and the Cardinals' offense could be very interesting. The second quarterback that made his debut um, is is Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins made his debut for the Washington Redskins, and he did some decent things. He played pretty deep into the game. He threw a couple of interceptions. He had a pick six to the Browns linebacker, uh, Mac Wilson. He was under, you know, he underthrew a wheel route on that play. But he showed a lot of really impressive arm talent. He can throw at the short and intermediate range. He's really good at the zone read. He can throw the ball over the top. But one thing that I was really pleasantly surprised about was the way that he threw the ball on the run. That was one of his weaknesses coming out of college. He really does not have great ability to throw the ball on the run. And it, it's a lot of it has to do with just his footwork throwing in on the run. Arm strength kind of dips. Accuracy kind of dips. But he looked decently well. His movement on bootleg play actions was really, really impressive. And look, the Redskins, they don't have a lot of offensive weapons. So I give him, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I really do, because they don't have a great wide receiving core. They're still waiting on that kid, Josh Dotson, to develop. They have decent tight ends, but but Jordan Reed can't stay healthy for five minutes, and Vernon Davis is getting old. Adrian Peterson is an old running back. Darius Geis is coming off of an ACL injury. So, I, well, listen, I think it would be for Dwayne Haskins' benefit if he were to sit behind Case Keenum for maybe the first eight to ten games, but I certainly think that he looks pretty good as a pro. And the final quarterback that made his debut, which I'm really excited about, is Daniel Jones. A Giants fan. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I was not insanely happy when they took Jones. Um, But he's been doing really well in training camp. And he looked really, really good in his first preseason game against the Jets. He went 5 for 5, 67 yards, a touchdown. And one of the things that I really loved, he had outstanding, outstanding anticipation skills. Great anticipation, great touch. He knew when to throw the football as receivers were breaking out of routes on his touchdown play. That touchdown play was all about anticipation. He threw that ball before the receiver was even done breaking out of his route. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up the highlights. He looked really comfortable. He's a smart kid. He understands how to read defenses. It, he looked great. 
He looked really, really great. And all three of these quarterbacks in their own respect looked really great. They all showed potential in their own way. And I know, again, the defenses in, in preseason are relatively vanilla. You're facing a lot of you know, second-string defenders, third-string defenders, guys who are just trying to crack a roster. But these guys looked really good. And I'm really encouraged by what I saw. And I'm really excited. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Keith Jacobs. This is Crazy Opinionated. Um, I love this podcast. I believe in this podcast. Um, if you do too, uh, you can listen to this podcast on Anchor. You can find it on Spotify. I post the links to it all the time on my Sport Talk page. Sport Talk is a social media website specifically for sports fans to talk about sports and engage about sports. Uh, so if that's something that interests you, go ahead and log on to sporttalk.com. You can follow me on there. My name is Keith Jacobs. Uh, thank you guys again so much for listening.